Welcome everyone to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week we discuss a movie and then one of the podcasters suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available for the major streaming services so you can participate with us. I'm your host Dale Maxfield. I'm joined today by Alicia Walker. Hello. Aaron Caldwell. Hello. And Josh Dean. Hi there. And uh, we watched Dolores Claiborne. That was Aaron's suggestion. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. Uh, Josh, how about you start? Well, uh, I saw a little um, stage production called Hamilton, I think. on uh, I think that's what it's called. <laughs> um, on Disney Plus this past weekend. Uh, I'd never... Obviously, I had heard of it, but I'd never heard any of the songs before or um, seen any of it before. Um, so that was that was pretty impressive. I see what the the hubbub is about. Um, the uh, of course, with all musicals, there's a couple of those slow tempo songs that just really drag it down a little bit. But they have to be there because the singers would die probably otherwise. Um, but uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was a good, uh, good musical. Has anyone seen the musical? I'm sorry. Have any of us seen the musical? I have not. I uh, I, I went and saw it when it was in Kansas City. So. Me too. I'm curious how it compares yeah. to the Disney Plus version. I heard they changed a lot of it. I didn't feel like much was changed at all. I think they uh, took a couple curses out of it. And that was about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, it was really strange. And, and I don't know if it was the fact that I was there, but I actually felt like the cast that I saw in Kansas City was better than what was on Disney+. Plus. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh. Well, I mean, live theater's going to be better than... Well, I mean, it was the recording on Disney Plus is a recording of the original cast yeah. doing a live performance on Broadway from 2016. So it's not really, I mean, it's still a live performance. It's just been recorded. No, I know, but just like being being at a musical is a lot different experience than watching it on TV. Sure. Sure. I will say, I thought Lin Manuel Miranda had the weakest voice of any of the singers, though. Like I, mm. his singing was my least favorite singing in the whole yeah. thing. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. But you know, he's the genius writer, so you know, sure, yeah, I yeah. know. <laughs> but we we discussed the same thing too. You know, of everybody in the cast, he definitely had the worst voice. <laughs> right. Oh well. I'm also glad I had closed captioning on so I could keep up, get all the lyrics. You could like, yeah, you could karaoke it if you wanted to. Yeah. Oh, that's Disney Plus for you. <laughs> for sure. Anything else? And that, um, I don't know if I mentioned last time, Floor is Lava. been watching that because I have nothing better okay. to do. Um, yeah, it's uh, a lot of fun, especially when... Uh, People fall into the lava and never come back out. You think, all right, they're dead now. Let's just keep going. That, so, sh uh, that show is yeah, so yeah. good. It is so much better than it should be. <laughs> Very watchable. Yeah. Uh, Alicia, how about you? 
Well, we also watched Hamilton, but um, we went to the drive-in again this week and watched Jurassic Park on the big screen, which I think we had talked about earlier was like number two in the country on the blockbuster chart in movie theaters right now. So we watched yeah. that. Um, I also watched season two of Pose. Um, I watched season one. I, I, I like the premise of the show. I like a lot of the issues they talk about on the show. I wouldn't necessarily say it's the best acting, but it's you know groundbreaking in other ways. Um, I have actually a good friend who is a, um, uh, he's the assistant. Well, now I think he's the head production director on that show. So that's part of why I wanted to check out the second season. He, he just got promoted for season three. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's got good music. And of course, it's all about the, you know, the, the balls of the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, the ball culture, kind of like the uh, Paris is burning and stuff like that. So uh, and it's got a, a largely um, transgendered uh, cast, which is pretty phenomenal and, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's worth watching. It's, it's definitely not one of my favorite shows, but, you know, it's got it's got peaks and troughs. That's not one I that really was on my radar. Uh, where did you watch that? Well, they just dropped season two on Netflix maybe a couple of weeks okay. ago. Um, it's an FX show, so you can also see it on FX. Okay. In fact... I'm not sure if season three, where, where they're at on that right now, if it's still in production or if that started airing on Netflix. A lot of times I know they'll drop a season on, or on FX, they'll drop a season oftentimes on Netflix right before a new season comes out. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, IMDb says that season three was supposed to premiere in June, but my guess is that the production got delayed and post got delayed because of what's going on. I know that's been true of a lot of things. Um, there's a show I watch called Billions that just abruptly stopped after episode seven this season because they hadn't finished the rest of the episodes and they can't right. until production can resume. Uh, anything else? Um, just some old favorites here and there. Watched a little Dumb and Dumber the, the other night, which is always fun to revisit. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, very quotable as always. But other than that, no, nothing else probably new. All right. Well, um, this was kind of a slow week for me, but um, I did I did watch one movie and a couple of TV shows. Um, I watched Jay and Silent Bob reboot, which I'd heard nothing good about, absolutely nothing good about. And I watched it, and it was fine. It it's not terrible. Um, it's not the greatest thing ever. I happen to like it more than Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which I really didn't care for. Um, but for what it is, it's fine. I mean, it's mostly just like an excuse to have a lot, a lot of cameos. Um, Absolutely. And he even says like in the movie, because the movie just doesn't care. It throws meta out the window and just breaks the fourth wall every once in a while. Like he basically got the movie made because he had a heart attack and he guilted all of his friends that had made movies with him before into appearing in the reboot. So, (laughs) um, his daughter is also like one of the leads of, of the reboot movie. Um, and I'd seen her in Tusk and yoga hosers. I actually think she's very good in Jane silent Bob reboot. Um, had any of you guys yeah. seen that? 
Uh, I did. I saw it in the road show. Yeah. With Kevin Smith uh, doing the live intro and outro. Um, so that was, that was, I think, a good way to see it because the whole audience was there for it. Yeah. And ready for it. Yeah. Um, so I, I found it, yeah, not as bad as everybody says. The first 20 minutes were kind of rough for me because I was like, man, is this just going to be every joke from the original redone yeah. now? But yeah. Um, the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross scene, though, is one of my favorites. Uh, Oh my god! Once I realized that's what was happening, I I just I I died. Hannah was watching it with me, and she didn't get it because she doesn't know Glengarry Glen Ross that much. But I was like, "Oh my god, he is doing the Alec Baldwin speech from Glengarry Glen Ross to distract everybody." That's that's really hilarious. At a clan rally, (laughs) yes. Yeah, so, um, and then from there, I just uh, watched the the newest episodes of I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is the series about the Golden State uh, Killer, and I watched the latest episode of the dark, gritty reboot of Perry Mason, which was dark and gritty and um, even more of a nonsensical reboot than, than the Jay and Silent Bob one, but I still enjoy it. I think it's fun. <laughs> So it's worth a watch? I think so. Um, I mean, I, you can wait if you want, and I can tell you at the end of the season, um, this was the third episode that I just saw this week. So, um, But it's it's decent. Um, Matthew Reese obviously is in it. John Lithgow and Stephen Root are the uh, defense attorney and the like prosecutor um, that they're working for. So Perry Mason works for John Lithgow's character. Um, and Stephen Root is like the evil prosecutor man. Um, it has this weird, like, uh, religious cult in it. It's all set like just after World War One, um, and Perry Mason has like uh, PTSD from fighting in World War One. So it's something. It's good so far. We haven't seen season, or excuse me, episode three yet, but we enjoyed the first two. Yeah. So I think we'll keep watching. It's good. It's just such a, like, it's such a weird thing for that, like, to take that character to that extreme is just so funny. It's like, we were talking about, you know, making a, you know, because of the Americans, instead of it being Matthew Reese, we'll take Carrie Russell and we'll do a dark, gritty reboot of Murder, She Wrote. Except in this one, Jessica Fletcher is like Villanelle from Killing Eve, and she's doing all the murdering and getting everybody else blamed for it. So, <laughs> just as everyone suspected all along, you know, there's got to be some truth to it. Uh, Aaron, how about you? Well, uh, I started watching the Unsolved Mysteries rekindling on. Uh, on Netflix. I didn't write that down. I actually watched all of that and I forgot to write it down. So what do you think? I, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, it was interesting to go without a host because obviously you can't replace Robert Stack. Well, they did replace Robert Stack. Um, with Dennis Farina and yeah. it was terrible. Uh, Dennis Farina is fine. Um, <laughs> I think it's really uneven. 
like really uneven. There's, I think, six episodes of it. Um, yeah. One or two of them are, are really good. Um, one of them in particular about UFOs is just a waste of time. And it's only 38 minutes. Like, that's all they could get out of it. Um, a lot of the stories, I think, are really thin. They just sort of, like, sit and the first half hour is, like, you already know that this person's going to get murdered, but they're telling you everything that happened in their day up until then. It's like, none of this makes a difference, but they're just sort of padding it out. Um, but it could get interesting if they, you know, if they go longer with it. Because one of the more interesting parts of the original show was that there'd be updates or solves or things like that. And then, you know, a year or two years from now, they would do an episode and revisit stuff that has been solved as a result or since the original show aired. So that could be interesting. I like that they used the, uh, the theme song again, but I think the arrangement of the theme song that they used is not good. It's just a really bland, like, like somebody was trying to like make their first Stranger Things theme song and use the melody from Unsolved Mysteries, and it's just really kind of broken and boring. Whereas um, the other thing I keep forgetting to say about I'll Be Gone in the Dark is that it has an excellent theme song um, by Amy Mann. So... And I watched the first two episodes of that. I think that's all that's aired so far. Of Um, Unsolved Mysteries? No, of uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Yeah, there's just been two, yeah. Um, That is really well done. Yeah. Although the first... I'm excited to see it. The first episode doesn't really give you much information um, on the case itself. It's just kind of like here's who Michelle McNamara is, which was interesting, um, but wouldn't, wouldn't be for everyone that is going for that story. Well, I mean, this, this uh, series is based on her book. Yeah. And it's produced by uh, Patton Oswalt. Patton and so, Oswalt. yeah, it makes sense. And to, you know, tie her into it makes a lot of sense from the storytelling perspective of it, too. Um I think the first episode does a really good job of just sort of laying everything out for you, just giving you kind of an overview, big picture of everything that's there, and then talking about how she got involved in it and how she um, sort of accelerated some of the investigation into the case. Um, The second episode really focuses on um, what rape was like in the late sixties and early seventies, like why it was so prevalent and why so many people got away with it. And it's, it's really interesting, like as social commentary of how misunderstood it was as a, as a crime. Like it, it it wasn't just like a, you know, like we joke today, like, you know, oh, what was she wearing? But that was, like, reality at the time. It was, like, they had these videos about, like, you know, oh, here's her mistake. She was she was looking too inviting and smiling at people, and, you know, that's just what's going to happen. And uh, it, was, it was a shameful thing to even admit, so people wouldn't report it. Um, it it's just this crazy, crazy thing. And so... Um, 
they talk about how like even though the east side or the golden state killer um who's been known under many many names but he was he he committed uh 50 rapes and they said he's not even close to the most prolific rapist in california during that time period and the most prolific ones didn't ever get caught because they never moved to murder and no one ever took him seriously. No one ever investigated him um, like a crime. Um, they said that like on the, on the law books, people would get like, there wasn't really good law about sexual assault and like what the punishment for sexual assault should be. So people would get convicted of heinous sexual assault cases and get 30 days or probation. And that was it because the judge didn't know what else to do and didn't really understand, you know, well, you know, it was a thing. It happened. Oh, well. So I, I thought that was interesting the way they kind of gave you that historical background of what that was like. Um, they show a lot of footage from like these sort of um, educational videos of like police investigators walking down the street and commenting on like how women are dressed and whether that's safe for them or not to do. And, um, there's a, one of the police officers that was doing most of the, um, I was doing a lot of the investigations into the rapes on the East side rapist case, which is the most, the, you know, most like concentrated area that he was doing in was a woman. And they have like footage of her at like a town hall meeting talking about how um you know this guy isn't a joke he's huge he's really strong um if you have a gun and you have the chance to shoot him don't shoot to don't don't shoot him in the leg don't shoot him in the arm shoot to put him down sort of thing Mm. so well, that sounds really interesting. I, I read her book, and I also saw, as we had talked about a while back, the Netflix special originally on The Golden State Killer that came out a few years ago. But yeah. um, I, haven't, I haven't watched the HBO series yet, and I really want to. And some of that footage, you know, really sounds like it would be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I, I really like it. Um, if all six episodes were out, I'd have watched it by now, but it's coming out week to week like that. Um, and I watched the one from 2018 sort of to see what the difference would be between this because the 2018 one came out before they actually found him and arrested him. Um, They found him like in late 2018. And so now Mm -hmm. they have, you know, they know what they know exactly what's what part of the cases are real and what part of it was just theory or that sort of thing. So anything else, Aaron? Yeah, Dale, this this one's for you, man. Um, Which 90 Day Fiance did you watch? Um, <laughs> Amber's been watching the... Um, I, th- I think it, it's the one where they actually go to, like, Ecuador and India. So, oh. like, 90 Day Fiance over it's there 90 days, uh 90 Days the Other Way. And I, Which I so don't I've think I have re- access to. I think that's... Like, you have to have uh, TLC to watch that one. I think she's watching it on Hulu. Oh, maybe it's on Hulu now, then. But um, It wasn't when I was going crazy and watching all of them. 
Oh man, I, I was reading the other day, and while I'm reading, this is going on in the background, and I am, I, I'm drawn in, and I hate myself for it. <laughs> uh, it's it's the worst show. I really have no idea how you did it, but uh, here here we are. Hundreds <laughs> of hours, my friend, I spent on that show. <laughs> but it was one of those things like. It's one of those TV shows, and there aren't, like, there's plenty of them out there, but there's not very many that I will, like, bother to get interested in that you can just turn on and let play. And if you miss, like, half an hour of it, you didn't miss anything. Like, they're going to bring it up several more times. They're going to show the best bits. In fact, when the episode started, they already showed you a highlight reel of everything that's going to happen on that episode. So you're just kind of waiting around for that to happen, and it's all good. Yeah, it, I will say that 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 is pretty interesting. Like you never feel like you've missed anything yep. because the same stuff happens every episode, every season. It's yeah, that's how they make 18 episodes out of it every for for every one of the like eight uh, spinoffs of it. I'm I'm so ashamed, but that I, I've watched a few episodes of that. Nice. Well, and that's it. Uh, yeah, uh, Aaron suggested a movie. We watched it. It was called Dolores Claiborne. Um, came out way back in 1995. I had not seen it before. Was it new for anybody else? No. Nope. Yeah, it was new for me. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Josh, why don't you take it first then uh, and tell us what you thought of Dolores Claiborne. All right. Well, for one thing, I when I started watching it, I was surprised I hadn't seen it before because this was, what, a year after Shawshank Redemption? Um, and I guess another attempt to, uh, to get the Stephen King classy movie uh, vibe going. Um Everybody involved, like Tony Gilroy wrote it. Danny Elfman was doing the music. I was, uh, the cast was pretty much all star, including embryonic John C. Riley. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, uh, so yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't know much about it, um, except that it was a Stephen King book. And I knew something about a well was in it. Cause that's on the cover of the book, I guess. Um, well. but well, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know, uh, I didn't know if anything supernatural was going to happen in it or if it was just going to be a straight, you know, human story. Um, so I was kind of pleasantly surprised when it didn't go anywhere too crazy. Um, I guess the eclipse is like the craziest thing, you know, and that, that actually happens a lot. So, uh, uh, but it was like the longest eclipse in history or something. That's the only Stephen King spooky part to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought, uh, I mean, Christopher Plummer did a great job. Um, Kathy Bates, of course, amazing job. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee, this was kind of during her period where she could phone it in sometimes I felt like, um, but by the end of the movie, I felt like she was really operating on all cylinders, which makes sense because she's supposed to be drugged out, I guess, at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, pleasantly surprised. Um, there is, 
uh, so a lot of flashbacks, and I thought they handled the flashbacks pretty well in terms of transitions. Um, but I swear there was a flashback inside a flashback at one point. Yeah. <laughs> where, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was a little confused by that because everything is supposed to be them telling a story or them being brought back in their memories to a certain time. And I don't know why they would intentionally withhold a piece of information from themselves <laughs> in their own flashback. Uh, so that that bothered me a little bit. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Overall, a positive experience. So I had never watched this before. Um, I'd seen trailers for it and heard, you know, good things about it. Um, I wasn't really aware. I mean, I'm I'm sure I knew who Stephen King was in 95, but I wasn't like reading his books or searching out movies written by him or anything like that at that time. Um, my, My appreciation for him or fandom for him came a bit later. Um, so I, I kind of saw this as I thought this was kind of an Oscar Beatty drama, melodrama sort of movie when I saw media for it and, and thought I don't need to spend two hours and 12 minutes watching Kathy Bates act. I'm sure she does a really great job. You know, I, 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 I don't need it. Um, and watching this, I thought, well, um, I can see in some cases where this is one of the better adaptations of Stephen King's style because one of the things that he does a lot in his books is he will have somebody like kind of daydream about something. They'll just be sitting there doing something else and then they'll just sort of daydream. And it's not even so much... You know, in a film, it, it, it looks and feels like a flashback. But the way they even shot it in this movie, it was like things were happening. Like the camera would go across somebody's body and that would wipe the screen into a different time. And, uh, you know, younger versions of characters would walk in and that sort of thing. That felt really authentic to the way his books are. I haven't read Dolores Claiborne, but I'm sure it's no different than the stuff that I've read that's like that. Um and I thought especially it was effective in the scene where uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's character remembers the thing about her dad on the ferry. Like that was like, that was a straight out of, you know, a Stephen King type of book is somebody having that sort of uh, regressed memory flashback or something like that. From a movie perspective, like if this was not an adaptation and they just came up with this on their own, um, it's still structurally pretty good. The only real weird complaint or, or not even complaint, but just sort of weirdness about it is, you know, you've got Jennifer Jason Lee's character who's, yeah, supposed to be like drugged out or anything or whatever, but the movie seems to keep changing leads. It starts out from Jennifer Jason Lee's perspective. Then we switched Kathy Bates's perspective for a lot of the movie and then Jennifer Jason Lee is just sort of there to um, to be someone for them to talk, like to talk to. And then it leads up to her having like her one big great monologue scene at the end, where she comes in and and plays defense lawyer for Kathy Bates. 
Um, so I don't know. I I think it's I think it's a pretty good movie. Um, I don't know if like it's if it's every Stephen King fan's cup of tea necessarily. You know, it's much more like something like Shawshank than one of his more supernatural stories, which I tend to like um, fiction that is, is more based in reality like this. Um, but there's, to me, there's like, there's really no mystery. Like there's, it's just a question of how something happened. It's not a question of whether it happened or not. And so that kind of pulls it down for me. And then that on top of the runtime, it's like, you got 132 minutes. Um, here's, here's a movie that you'll, you'll probably like the last half hour of quite a bit. Um, cause that was, that to me was the best part was, was Christopher Plummer versus Jennifer Jason Lee. That was the best part of the movie. Um, so uh alicia you'd seen this before what did you think of it yeah i'd seen it before um i don't think right when it came out but shortly thereafter and i'd also read the stephen king book actually at the time before i'd seen it and um i like it i mean you know based on having read the book although it's been some years since i have i i do think out of all the stephen kings that i've read it is probably one of the ones that does the best job of adapting the the story uh to the movie which was not necessarily an easy thing to do with all the flashbacks and things like that but i really liked um a lot of things about it i mean it's definitely not my favorite stephen king story or or movie for that matter but i think they did still did a really good job with it i like the use of color um kind of the production design of it when they're doing the the flashbacks and the eclipse and things like that i think that kind of added to it a lot i think you know kathy bates did an amazing job which you know she'd already done a great job in misery before she did this but um she was great i you know jennifer jason lee i think we're getting a little bit of a jason lee renaissance right now maybe not as much as we need to but i'm, I'm kind of glad to see her in stuff again um she had a lot of good early stuff but yeah i think she did do quite a few roles that are kind of this you know kind of an alley sheedy breakfast club kind of dark character kind of thing going on that she kind of does here too where she's just very frustrated understandably so with what's going on with her character's life but um she didn't stand out for me as much as kathy bates does and i love and i can't remember her name but the actress who plays vera the woman that uh, kathy bates works for um i loved her i thought she's she's kind of got a vanessa redgrave vibe Okay, she's got a little bit of a Vanessa Redgrave vibe kind of happening, and even though she's not really in the movie that long, I I loved scenes that had her in it as well. Um, when I first so saw her, really good. I always when I first saw her at yeah, the foot of the stairs because that's the first time you see her. Like she's mm-hmm. got the rolling pin up and you see her. I thought it was Glenn Close right. in old age makeup. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, she's got kind of a look that's similar to some other actresses. Very stagey, very theatrical in her performance, which I thought was very good for that role. Um, I I usually love Christopher Plummer, and he wasn't bad here, but I think sometimes I had a hard time buying in on him being this kind of villainous, you know, uh, was he an investigator detective, I think, that was kind of out for, you know, out to get her because of the previous murder. I think sometimes I just have a hard time putting Christopher Plummer in that kind of a role for myself, but... Yeah. Um, but overall, I liked it. I thought it did a really good job. So, um, yeah, overall, I liked it. Um, I thought it was, you know, a great performance um, 
for uh, Kathy Bates. Uh, it was a really good role for her. I, I could listen to the main accent probably all day, which I can do oftentimes with a good Stephen King movie. But um, I know it kind of got overshadowed with Shawshank coming out, if I remember right, about the same year or, or just a year after, something like that. And at the time, they were both a little bit um, under the radar, I think. But Shawshank has definitely had a lot more uh, rewatching and replaying on you know, TBS and TNT in the 90s, where I felt like I could watch it about every Saturday, then you're seeing Dolores Claiborne. So, but good overall. I like it. Yeah, Shawshank came out in 94. And the only reason that that is burned into okay. my memory is... Because of Pulp Fiction and all those year, all those movies. That uh, probably. No. Uh, uh, oh. Aaron will, can tell you which movie came out in 1994 that makes me remember all the other movies. Forrest Gump, probably. Forrest yes. Gump. <laughs> Forrest Gump, dear God. Forrest, Forrest Gump, Gump. <laughs> best picture, beating out Shawshank Redemption, yeah. Pulp Fiction. There, there were more, um, but those well, were like the two big ones. Yes, there were. Shawshank right. didn't even get nominated. It, it's it's stupid. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you're talking about like the colors and that that stuff. I thought all that was really good too. I was weirded out by the one scene where, after she, like basically got, uh, Dennis Strathen, who we haven't mentioned, who was good in this and played a very different character that I'm used. To, I'm used to seeing him as like a distinguished old man, so I haven't seen him, <laughs> you know, play like a, a creepy, um, creepy sex pervert guy uh before but uh his uh uh the scene where she basically tricks him into jumping into the the mine and she walks back to the house and over the house the sky is completely red like blood red and it's like what yeah like you're trying to say that that's something the eclipse did or is that just like a U2 reference, or I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> well, maybe that was kind of tying in her emotional state. Maybe, you know, because a lot of the flashbacks are different kind of a color palette anyway. Yeah. So maybe everything is just her point of view stuff with that. Yeah, everything was brighter in the flashbacks. That was kind of the, mm-hmm. the motif they were going for there. So, uh, okay, well, um, Aaron... As, as we are like to do on this show. Um, what the hell, man? Well, man, like, I'm a huge Kathy Bates <laughs> fan. So, I remember going to the video store back when those existed. And seeing this and thinking, oh man, it's going to be another misery. You got a Stephen King story, you've got Kathy Bates. How can, how can this go wrong? Um, amazing cast you know you got Kathy Bates Jennifer Jason Lee, Christopher Plummer which really those, uh, those are the only three I knew from this movie at the time um, John C. Riley, David Strathern they, they became more known to me later and then Ellen Muth played the younger teenage version yeah. of Selena who was in the show Dead Like Me, uh, which was a really good show. Um, I, I rented this and I, I was expecting horror 
and I got horror, uh, just a very different kind, a, a much more uh, realistic showing. Um, yeah, and and this this movie is just it's so brutal. Like the the things that happen, you're just like, damn, this is this is terrible. <laughs> and the the rich lady dying you have no idea if she was murdered or not um the abusive husband going missing you just assume that he was murdered which he kind of was um and you're just you're waiting this entire movie for those to be spelled out for you especially you know for me i was i was only 12 or hell no i was 10 um and it's just such a slow burn through the entire thing and and you get just a little piece here and a little piece there and then it all comes together at the end especially on the scene where uh selena remembers um what her dad did to her mm-hmm. uh, and it it's just so heartbreaking seeing everything fall into place and you realize that Dolores Claiborne was just an incredibly strong female character and a survivor of so much and now like all with her memory back Jennifer Jason Leigh her character she's a survivor too and you just see this strength inside them and it comes forth in that final scene against uh with christopher Plummer. it's it's just magical man i i have as as brutal as it is uh to watch this movie um it's so uplifting at the end yeah. And uh, I, I just, I, I love this movie. You know, Aaron, something you said that I thought was interesting too, and I think a lot of people felt that way, is you're talking about going through the, you know, the movie rental store and, and picking this up and liking Kathy Bates from Misery. And I think a lot of people did that. I think people didn't see it in the theater and then they saw it later and thought, oh, it's probably like Misery, I'm going to watch it. And I think for a lot of them, the, you know, Misery's better. I mean, I like Misery better than this, although I still like this movie. But I think for a lot of people, they did not, they were expecting it to be another Misery and it wasn't quite that psychological of a of a thriller, if you could call it that, in the same way. It's, it's like you said, there's definitely horrors in this movie, but it's not the same kind of a movie. And so I think for some people, that's why it kind of flew under the radar more. And maybe, you know, she didn't get as much attention for that just because of the fact that people wanted it to be another Misery. Yeah, I think that was true because I, I I remember kind of the prevailing opinion at the time being, you know, it's good, but it's not as good as Misery. Um, mm-hmm. Kathy Bates is good in it, um, but it's not as much of like a horror movie as Misery was. And, you know, yeah, there were a lot of things that sort of um, steered me away from it. So They also wrote her like uh, her character from Misery. 
um, Annie Wilkes, she wouldn't curse for the beginning of the movie. Like she kept avoiding curse words at the beginning of Dolores Claiborne. And I thought, oh man, they're just writing her exactly like her character from Misery. But then finally, as the movie goes on, she starts cursing more and yeah. more, I guess, as she's dropping her guard. So I was like, oh, thank God. Because I would hate for her just to be a retread of that character. Well, and there's, um, so there's like three reveals in this movie, right? There's the reveal of, uh, how the father died. There's the reveal of how Vera actually died. And there's the reveal of whether or not the father did something to the daughter. And like I said before, all of those are hows. They're not what's they're not, um, they're not surprises. They're not they're not twists. So for me it was like, okay, well, you know, she probably killed her husband. I guess we'll we'll see how. Um she pro- she may have killed her boss. May, let's let's find out how. The father probably did something to the daughter because the mother went to that extreme to deal with it. But we have to see how. And my guess is that the how is very different in the book. I don't know if anybody can validate that or not, because I, I imagine that what they showed it's, on screen was pretty tame compared to what he put in the book. Well, I couldn't tell you exactly the wording, because it's been, like I said, at least 20 years probably since I read it. But it, I mean, what happens to him is what happens to him in the I book. Mean, so I mean, what really he did to uh, the daughter. Oh, well, I think it's still kind of left up in the air as to how far that went. But, um, yeah, I mean, but I I would agree with you. I think it's not so much a, I think they tried to bill it a lot as a thriller suspense movie, but I I wasn't sitting on the edge of my seat wondering what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just a bunch of, of, a a bunch of explanations rather than than twists and turns. So, and then... You know, it, it, I guess it depends on how much you end up caring about Kathy Bates's character as to whether you care whether she goes down for the murder of Vera or not. Um, but you know, that's that's not how it ends up playing out. Well, I honestly, at the beginning, I thought it was a fifty-fifty shot that either she killed her husband or her daughter killed the husband, and mm-hmm. that she covered up for the daughter. And I thought, well, it could go either way on that. So that was the only question I had, kind of unanswered uh, from the. I mean, that I was waiting well, to see. Well, and how the the out. daughter killing him would have actually constituted a twist, hmm. in in my opinion. Um, sure, because everything else happened exactly the way that it's described to us, just not the specific details you know so you know from that from that standpoint like i i like a good crime story um i like a good murder mystery i don't didn't think this was either this was more of like a family drama um and it weirdly it put jennifer jason lee's character in this weird state of limbo for like the middle 80 percent of the movie where she's just, like I said, she's just sort of there to be the person that Kathy Bates talks to. And that's that's about all. But it did give us Eric Bogosian, though. 
which I'm always a fan of seeing him in a movie. Yeah. Has the director... The director... Uh, that's Helen Mirren's husband. What else has he directed? Taylor Hackford. What else mm. has he directed? Like, Officer and a Gentleman, I think, was his big hit. Oh, yeah. Oh, and he did... Uh, he did Ray. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a very well-made movie. Um, I, I was, you know, for... Uh, for you know, for something made in 1995, um, I was trying to figure out uh, what the what the budget and box office was like, and I couldn't call them up right away. Um, but I would imagine this was a pretty expensive production, and I wonder if it made a profit. According to Wikipedia, mm-hmm. it was 13 million budget. Wow. And forty-six million box office. I mean, that's not like a oh. roaring success, but thirteen million—they got a lot out of that. That's pretty good. I, I would have. Well, and I gotta say, you know, it's t- it's tough in a Stephen King book to put all the major elements in there in a, in a movie adaptation. You know, I think sometimes that's really difficult for a Stephen King book because even if it's a good movie, I usually always find the book better yeah. of course often we say that about a lot of movies but but still i would say for that particular book i i didn't feel like i was really lacking anything in the movie version so i think it was a really well done adaptation yeah i i, I honestly think that there's they could have they could have picked up the pace of some of it um oddly i did notice mm-hmm. <laughs> um and you probably wouldn't notice this unless you were really looking for it but i because I edit video, this sort of thing always sticks out to me. Um, in the opening scene, when Kathy Bates runs into the kitchen to look for the rolling pin or whatever, and she's like tearing through all the stuff, they ever so slightly mm-hmm. speed up the film to make it look more frantic. And it's, it goes a little yakety sacks for me. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll, I'll have to go back and watch that. Cause I, I I never noticed it. A little, a little Benny Hill for a moment. Yeah. Is that what was happening? Yeah, that's the name of that song okay. is Yakety Sax. It's the, yeah. the Benny Hill theme. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. She's <laughs> just like da 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 da. da. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I think it, I think it's really well made. Thirteen million. That's that's a crazy low budget for this. Um, so. Uh, yeah, especially with the cast. I mean, that's that's a pretty yeah. stellar cast. Was it a stellar cast in '95, or was this kind of their upswing? Because Kathy Bates was kind of like Misery was sort of her breakout, wasn't it? Yeah, but she yeah. with the Oscar recognition, I'm sure she was getting a little more bank at that time. But I mean, Christopher Plummer was probably not getting top dollar at that point, and uh, David Strathaith. Strathen, yeah, I always have trouble with his last name, but he Jason uh, he, he had lots of good. S- no, <laughs> I'm not in this uh, movie, he mate. Had, uh, he's one of those guys that pops up in you know dozens of movies that you see later and are like, oh my gosh, look who it is. But he he was great, but he's always just kind of a supporting character, and definitely John C. Riley's not making any money on this, but you know, building the resume. All right, well, um, 
it is Alicia's turn to suggest a movie. Alicia, what would you like for us to watch next time? Well, uh, boys, we're going pre-production code here. So we're going to do a little Dinner at Eight with Gene Harlow. Yeah, that'll be great. Uh, so we'll see you guys for that one. Um, thanks, everybody, for discussing Dolores Claiborne with me. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you on the next Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Thank you.